Section 26 of Institutes of the Christian Religion Book 4 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brian Dole Institutes of the Christian Religion Book 4 by John Calvin Translated by Henry Beveridge Chapter 14 Part 1 Of the Sacraments This chapter consists of two principal parts. One of sacraments in general. The sum of the doctrine stated, section 1 through 6. Two classes of opponents to be guarded against namely, those who undervalue the power of the sacraments, section 7 through 13, and those who attribute too much to the sacraments, section 14 through 17. 2. Of the sacraments in particular, both of the Old and the New Testament. Their scope and meaning refutation of those who have either too high or too low ideas of the sacraments. Sections 1. Of the sacraments in general. A sacrament defined. 2. Meaning of the word sacrament. 3. Definition explained. Why God seals his promises to us by sacraments. 4. The word which ought to accompany the element, that the sacrament may be complete. 5. Error of those who attempt to separate the word or promise of God from the element. 6. Why sacraments are called signs of the covenant. 7. They are such signs, though the wicked should receive them, but are signs of grace only to believers. 8. Objections to this view answered. 9. No secret virtue in the sacraments. Their whole efficacy depends on the inward operation of the Spirit. 10. Objections answered. Illustrated by a simile. 11. Of the increase of faith by the preaching of the word. 12. In what way and how far the sacraments are confirmations of our faith. 13. Some regard the sacraments as mere signs. This view refuted. 14. Some again attribute too much to the sacraments. Refutation. 15. Refutation confirmed by a passage from Augustine. 16. Previous views more fully explained. 17. The matter of the sacrament always present when the sacrament is duly administered. 18. Extensive meaning of the term sacrament. 
19. The ordinary sacraments in the church. How necessary they are. 20. The sacraments of the Old and of the New Testament. The end of both the same. Namely, to lead us to Christ. 21. This apparent in the sacraments of the Old Testament. 22. Apparent also in the sacraments of the New Testament. 23. Impious doctrine of the schoolmen as to the difference between the Old and the New Testaments. 24. Scholastic objection answered. 25. Another objection answered. 26. Sacraments of the New Testament sometimes excessively extolled by early theologians. Their meaning explained. 1. Akin to the preaching of the gospel, we have another help to our faith in the sacraments, in regard to which it greatly concerns us that some sure doctrine should be delivered, informing us both of the end for which they were instituted and of their present use. First, we must attend to what a sacrament is. It seems to me, then, a simple and appropriate definition to say that it is an external sign by which the Lord seals on our consciences His promises of good will toward us in order to sustain the weakness of our faith, and we, in our turn, testify our piety towards Him, both before Himself and before angels, as well as men. We may also define more briefly by calling it a testimony of the divine favour toward us, confirmed by an external sign, with the corresponding attestation of our faith towards Him. You may make your choice of these definitions, which in meaning differ not from that of Augustine, which defines a sacrament to be a visible sign of a sacred thing, or a visible form of an invisible grace, but does not contain a better or surer explanation, as its brevity makes it somewhat obscure and thereby misleads the more illiterate. I wish to remove all doubt and make the definition fuller by stating it at greater length. 2. The reason why the ancients used the term in this sense is not obscure. The old interpreter, whenever he wished to render the Greek term mustarion into Latin, especially when it was used with reference to divine things, used the word sacramentum. Thus in Ephesians, quote, Having made known unto us the mystery, sacramentum, of his will, Unquote. And again, quote, If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, words, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, sacramentum. Ephesians 1 9, Ephesians 3 2. In the Colossians, quote, Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, 
but is now made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery, sacramentum. Colossians 1.26 Also, in the first epistle to Timothy, quote, Without controversy, great is the mystery, sacramentum, of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16 He was unwilling to use the word arcanum, secret, lest the word should seem beneath the magnitude of the thing meant. When the thing therefore was sacred and secret, he used the term sacramentum. In this sense, it frequently occurs in ecclesiastical writers, and it is well known that what the Latins call sacramenta, the Greeks call mystaria. The sameness of meaning removes all dispute. Hence it is that the term was applied to those signs which gave an august representation of things spiritual and sublime. This is also observed by Augustine. Quote, it were tedious to discourse of the variety of signs. Those which relate to divine things are called sacraments. Unquote. 3. From the definition which we have given, we perceive that there never is a sacrament without an antecedent promise, the sacrament being added as a kind of appendix, with the view of confirming and sealing the promise and giving a better attestation, or rather, in a manner, confirming it. In this way, God provides first for our ignorance and sluggishness, and secondly for our infirmity. And yet, properly speaking, it does not so much confirm His word as establish us in the faith of it. For the truth of God is in itself sufficiently stable and certain and cannot receive a better confirmation from any other quarter than from itself. But as our faith is slender and weak, so if it be not propped up on every side and supported by all kinds of means, it is forthwith shaken and tossed to and fro, wavers and even falls. And here indeed our merciful Lord, with boundless condescension, so accommodates himself to our capacity, that seeing how, from our animal nature, we are always creeping on the ground and cleaving to the flesh, having no thought of what is spiritual, and not even forming an idea of it, he declines not, by means of these earthly elements, to lead us to himself, and even in the flesh, to exhibit a mirror of spiritual blessings. For as Chrysostom says, were we incorporeal, he would give us these things in a naked and incorporeal form. Now because our souls are implanted in bodies, he delivers spiritual things under things visible. Not that the qualities which are set before us in the sacraments are inherent in the nature of the things, but God gives them this signification. 4. 
This is commonly expressed by saying that a sacrament consists of the word and the external sign. By the word we ought to understand not one which muttered without meaning and without faith, by its sound merely, as by a magical incantation, has the effect of consecrating the element, but one which preached makes us understand what the visible sign means. The thing, therefore, which was frequently done under the tyranny of the Pope was not free from great profanation of the mystery, for they deemed it sufficient if the priest muttered the formula of consecration, while the people, without understanding, looked stupidly on. Nay, this was done for the express purpose of preventing any instruction from thereby reaching the people, for all was said in Latin to illiterate hearers. Superstition afterwards was carried to such a height that the consecration was thought not to be duly performed except in a low grumble, which few could hear. Very different is the doctrine of Augustine concerning the sacramental word. Quote, Let the word be added to the element, and it will become a sacrament. For whence can there be so much virtue in water as to touch the body and cleanse the heart, unless by the agency of the word? And this not because it is said, but because it is believed. For even in the word, the transient sound is one thing, the permanent power another. This is the word of faith which we preach, says the Apostle, Romans 10.8. Hence in the Acts of the Apostles we have the expression, quote, Purify their hearts by faith, unquote. Acts 15.9. And the Apostle Peter says, The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience. Unquote. 1 Peter 3.21. Quote, This is the word of faith which we preach, by which word, doubtless, baptism also, in order that it may be able to cleanse, is consecrated. Unquote. You see how he requires preaching to the production of faith, and we need not labour to prove this, since there is not the least room for doubt as to what Christ did and commanded us to do, as to what the apostles followed and a purer church observed. Nay, it is known that from the very beginning of the world, whenever God offered any sign to the holy patriarchs, it was inseparably attached to doctrine, without which our senses would gaze bewildered on an unmeaning object. Therefore, when we hear mention made of the sacramental word, let us understand the promise, which proclaimed aloud by the minister, leads the people by the hand to that to which the sign tends and directs us. 5. Nor are those to be listened to who oppose this view 
with a more subtle than solid dilemma. They argue thus, We either know that the word of God which precedes the sacrament is the true will of God, or we do not know it. If we know it, we learn nothing new from the sacrament which succeeds. If we do not know it, we cannot learn it from the sacrament, whose whole efficacy depends on the word. Our brief reply is, the seals which are affixed to diplomas and other public deeds are nothing considered in themselves, and would be affixed to no purpose if nothing was written on the parchment. And yet this does not prevent them from sealing and confirming when they are appended to writings. It cannot be alleged that this comparison is a recent fiction of our own, since Paul himself used it, terming circumcision a seal, Romans 4.11, where he expressly maintains that the circumcision of Abraham was not for justification, but was an attestation to the covenant, by the faith of which he had been previously justified. And how, pray, can anyone be greatly offended when we teach that the promise is sealed by the sacrament, since it is plain from the promises themselves that one promise confirms another? The clearer any evidence is, the fitter is it to support our faith. But sacraments bring with them the clearest promises, and when compared with the word, have this peculiarity, that they represent promises to the life, as if painted in a picture. Nor ought we to be moved by an objection, founded on the distinction between sacraments and the seals of documents, namely, that since both consist of the carnal elements of this world, the former cannot be sufficient or adequate to seal the promises of God, which are spiritual and eternal, though the latter may be employed to seal the edicts of princes concerning fleeting and fading things. But the believer, when the sacraments are presented to his eye, does not stop short at the carnal spectacle, but by the steps of analogy which I have indicated, rises with pious consideration to the sublime mysteries which lie hidden in the sacraments. 6. As the Lord calls His promises covenants, Genesis 6.18, 9.9, and sacraments, signs of the covenants, so something similar may be inferred from human covenants. What could the slaughter of a hog effect unless words were interposed or rather preceded? Swine are often killed without any interior or occult mystery. What could be gained by pledging the right hand, since hands are not unfrequently joined in giving battle? But when words have proceeded, then by such symbols of covenant, sanction is given to laws, though previously conceived, digested, and enacted by words. Sacraments, therefore, are exercises which confirm our faith in the word of God, and because we are carnal, 
they are exhibited under carnal objects, that thus they may train us in accommodation to our sluggish capacity, just as nurses lead children by the hand. And hence Augustine calls a sacrament a visible word, because it represents the promises of God as in a picture, and places them in our view in a graphic bodily form. We might refer to other similitudes by which sacraments are more plainly designated, as when they are called the pillars of our faith. For just as a building stands and leans on its foundation, and yet is rendered more stable when supported by pillars, so faith leans on the word of God as its proper foundation, and yet when sacraments are added, leans more firmly, as if resting on pillars. Or we may call them mirrors, in which we may contemplate the riches of the grace which God bestows upon us. For then, as has been said, he manifests himself to us in as far as our dullness can enable us to recognize him and testifies his love and kindness to us more expressly than by word. 7. It is irrational to contend that sacraments are not manifestations of divine grace toward us, because they are held forth to the ungodly also, who, however, so far from experiencing God to be more propitious to them, only incur greater condemnation. By the same reasoning, the gospel will be no manifestation of the grace of God, because it is spurned by many who hear it, nor will Christ himself be a manifestation of grace, because of the many by whom he was seen and known, very few received him. Something similar may be seen in public enactments. A great part of the body of the people deride and evade the authenticating seal, though they know it was employed by their sovereign to confirm his will. Others trample it underfoot, as a matter by no means appertaining to them, while others even execrate it, so that, seeing the condition of the two things to be alike, the appropriateness of the comparison which I made above ought to be more readily allowed. It is certain, therefore, that the Lord offers us his mercy and a pledge of his grace, both in his sacred word and in the sacraments. But it is not apprehended, save by those who receive the word and sacraments with firm faith. In like manner as Christ, though offered and held forth for salvation to all, is not, however, acknowledged and received by all. Augustine, when intending to intimate this, said that the efficacy of the word is produced in the sacrament not because it is spoken, but because it is believed. Hence Paul, addressing believers, includes communion with Christ in the sacraments, as when he says, As many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ.
Galatians 3.27. Again, quote, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, unquote. 1 Corinthians 12.13. But when he speaks of a preposterous use of the sacraments, he attributes nothing more to them than to frigid, empty figures, thereby intimating that however the ungodly and hypocrites may by their perverseness either suppress or obscure or impede the effect of divine grace in the sacraments, that does not prevent them, where and whenever God is so pleased, from giving a true evidence of communion with Christ, or prevent them from exhibiting and the Spirit of God from performing the very thing which they promise. We conclude, therefore, that the sacraments are truly termed evidences of divine grace, and, as it were, seals of the goodwill which he entertains toward us. They, by sealing it to us, sustain, nourish, confirm, and increase our faith. The objections usually urged against this view are frivolous and weak. They say that our faith, if it is good, cannot be made better. For there is no faith save that which leans unshakingly, firmly, and undividedly on the mercy of God. It had been better for the objectors to pray with the apostles, quote, Lord, increase our faith, unquote, Luke 17.5, than confidently to maintain a perfection of faith which none of the sons of men ever attained, none ever shall attain in this life. Let them explain what kind of faith his was who said, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief, Mark 9.24. That faith, though only commenced, was good, and might, by the removal of the unbelief, be made better. But there is no better argument to refute them than their own consciousness, for if they confess themselves sinners, this whether they will or not they cannot deny, then they must of necessity impute this very quality to the imperfection of their faith. 8. But Philip, they say, replied to the eunuch who asked to be baptized, quote, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Acts 8.37 What room is there for a confirmation of baptism where faith fills the whole heart? I, in my turn, ask them, Do they not feel that a good part of their heart is void of faith? Do they not perceive new additions to it every day? There was one who boasted that he grew old while learning. Thrice miserable, then, are we Christians, if we grow old without making progress. We whose faith ought to advance through every period of life until it grow up into a perfect man. Ephesians 4.13 in this passage, therefore, to believe with the whole heart is not to believe Christ perfectly, but only to embrace Him sincerely with heart and soul, not to be filled with Him, 
but with ardent affection to hunger and thirst and sigh after him. It is usual in Scripture to say that a thing is done with the whole heart when it is done sincerely and cordially. Of this description are the following passages, quote, With my whole heart have I sought thee, unquote, Psalm 119.10. Quote, I will confess unto thee with my whole heart, unquote, etc. In like manner, when the fraudulent and deceitful are rebuked, it is said with, quote, flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak, unquote, Psalm 12, verse 2. The objectors next add, quote, If faith is increased by means of the sacraments, the Holy Spirit is given in vain, seeing it is His office to begin, sustain, and consummate our faith. Unquote. I admit indeed that faith is the proper and entire work of the Holy Spirit, enlightened by whom we recognize God and the treasures of His grace, and without whose illumination our mind is so blind that it can see nothing, so stupid that it has no relish for spiritual things. But for the one divine blessing which they proclaim we count three, for first the Lord teaches and trains us by His word, next he confirms us by His sacraments. Lastly, He illumines our mind by the light of His Holy Spirit and opens up an entrance into our hearts for His word and sacraments, which would otherwise only strike our ears and fall upon our sight, but by no means affect us inwardly. 9. Wherefore, with regard to the increase and confirmation of faith, I would remind the reader, though I think I have already expressed it in unambiguous terms, that in assigning this office to the sacraments, it is not as if I thought that there is a kind of secret efficacy perpetually inherent in them, by which they can of themselves promote or strengthen faith. but because our Lord has instituted them for the express purpose of helping to establish and increase our faith. The sacraments duly perform their office only when accompanied by the Spirit, the internal Master, whose energy alone penetrates the heart, stirs up the affections, and procures access for the sacraments into our souls. If He is wanting, the sacraments can avail us no more than the sun shining on the eyeballs of the blind, or sounds uttered in the ears of the deaf. Wherefore, in distributing between the Spirit and the sacraments, I ascribe the whole energy to Him, and leave only a ministry to them. This ministry without the agency of the Spirit is empty and frivolous. But when He acts within and exerts His power, it is replete with energy. It is now clear in what way, according to this view, 
a pious mind is confirmed in faith by means of the sacraments. Namely, in the same way in which the light of the sun is seen by the eye and the sound of the voice is heard by the ear, the former of which would not at all be affected by the light unless it had a pupil on which the light might fall, nor the latter reached by any sound, however loud, were it not naturally adapted for hearing. But if it is true, as has been explained, that in the eye it is the power of vision which enables it to see the light, and in the ear the power of hearing which enables it to perceive the voice, and that in our hearts it is the work of the Holy Spirit to commence, maintain, cherish, and establish faith, then it follows both that the sacraments do not avail one iota without the energy of the Holy Spirit and that yet in hearts previously taught by that preceptor, there is nothing to prevent the sacraments from strengthening and increasing faith. There is only this difference, that the faculty of seeing and hearing is naturally implanted in the eye and ear, whereas Christ acts in our minds above the measure of nature by special grace. 10. In this way, also, we dispose of certain objections by which some anxious minds are annoyed. If we ascribe either an increase or confirmation of faith to creatures, injustice is done to the Spirit of God, who alone ought to be regarded as its author. But we do not rob him of the merit of confirming and increasing faith. Nay, rather, we maintain that that which confirms and increases faith is nothing else than the preparing of our minds by his internal illumination to receive that confirmation which is set forth by the sacraments. But if the subject is still obscure, it will be made plain by the following similitude. Were you to begin to persuade a person by word to do something, you would think of all the arguments by which he may be brought over to your view and in a manner compelled to serve your purpose. But nothing is gained if the individual himself possess not a clear and accurate judgment by which he may be able to weigh the value of your arguments. If, moreover, he is not of a docile disposition and ready to listen to doctrine, if, in fine, he has no such idea of your faith and prudence as in a manner to prejudice him in your favour and secure his assent. For there are many obstinate spirits who are not to be bent by any arguments, and where faith is suspected or authority contemned, little progress is made, even with the docile. On the other hand, when opposite feelings exist, the result will be that the person whose interests you are consulting will acquiesce in the very counsels which he would otherwise have derided. The same work is performed in us by the Spirit. That the word may not fall upon our ear, or the sacraments be presented to our eye in vain, he shows that it is God who there speaks to us, 
softens our obdurate hearts and frames them to obedience, which is due to his word. In short, transmits those external words and sacraments from the ear to the soul. Both word and sacraments therefore confirm our faith, bringing under view the kind intentions of our Heavenly Father, in the knowledge of which the whole assurance of our faith depends, and by which its strength is increased. And the Spirit also confirms our faith when by engraving that assurance on our minds he renders it effectual. Meanwhile it is easy for the Father of lights, in like manner as he illumines the bodily eye by the rays of the sun, to illumine our minds by the sacraments, as by a kind of intermediate brightness. 11. This property our Lord showed to belong to the external word, when in the parable he compared it to seed, Matthew 13.4, Luke 8.15. For as the seed, when it falls on a deserted and neglected part of the field, can do nothing but die, but when thrown into ground, properly laboured and cultivated, will yield a hundredfold. So the word of God, when addressed to any stubborn spirit, will remain without fruit, as if thrown upon the barren waste. But when it meets with a soul which the hand of the heavenly spirit has subdued, will be most fruitful. But if the case of the seed and of the word is the same, and from the seed corn can grow and increase and attain to maturity, why may not faith also take its beginning, increase, and completion from the word? Both things are admirably explained by Paul in different passages. For when he would remind the Corinthians how God had given effect to his labors, he boasts that he possessed the ministry of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.4 Just as if his preaching were inseparably connected with the power of the Holy Spirit in inwardly enlightening the mind and stimulating it. But in another passage, when he would remind them what the power of the word is in itself when preached by man, he compares ministers to husbandmen, who after they have expended labor and industry in cultivating the ground, have nothing more that they can do. For what would ploughing and sowing and watering avail, unless that which was sown should, by the kindness of heaven, vegetate? Wherefore he concludes that he that planteth and he that watereth is nothing, but the whole is to be ascribed to God, who alone gives the increase. The apostles, therefore, exert the power of the Spirit in their preaching, inasmuch as God uses them as instruments which he has ordained for the unfolding of his spiritual grace. Still, however, we must not lose sight of the distinction, but remember what man is able of himself to do and what is peculiar to God. 12. 
The sacraments are confirmations of our faith in such a sense that the Lord sometimes, when he sees meet to withdraw our assurance of the things which he had promised in the sacraments, takes away the sacraments themselves. When he deprives Adam of the gift of immortality and expels him from the garden, quote, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and live for ever, Genesis 3.22. What is this we hear? Could that fruit have restored Adam to the immortality from which he had already fallen? By no means. It is just as if he had said, lest he indulge in vain confidence, if allowed to retain the symbol of my promise, let that be withdrawn, which might give him some hope of immortality. On this ground, when the Apostle urges the Ephesians to remember that they were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world, Ephesians 2.12, he says that they were not partakers of circumcision. He thus intimates, metonymically, that all were excluded from the promise who had not received the badge of the promise. To the other objection, namely that when so much power is attributed to creatures, the glory of God is bestowed upon them and thereby impaired, it is obvious to reply that we attribute no power to the creatures. All we say is that God uses the means and instruments which he sees to be expedient in order that all things might be subservient to his glory, he being the Lord and disposer of all. Therefore, as by bread and other aliment he feeds our bodies, as by the sun he illumines and by fire gives warmth to the world, and yet bread, sun, and fire are nothing, save inasmuch as they are instruments under which he dispenses his blessings to us. So in like manner he spiritually nourishes our faith by means of the sacraments, whose only office is to make his promises visible to our eye, or rather to be pledges of his promises. And as it is our duty in regard to the other creatures which the divine liberality and kindness has destined for our use, and by whose instrumentality he bestows the gifts of his goodness upon us, to put no confidence in them, nor to admire and extol them as the causes of our mercies. So neither ought our confidence to be fixed on the sacraments, nor ought the glory of God to be transferred to them, but passing beyond them all, our faith and confession should rise to him, who is the author of the sacraments and of all things. 13. There is nothing in the argument which some found on the very term sacrament. This term, they say, while it has many significations in approved authors, has only one which is applicable to signs, namely, when it is used for the formal oath which the soldier gives to his commander on entering service. 
For as by that military oath recruits bind themselves to be faithful to their commander and make a profession of military service, so by our signs we acknowledge Christ to be our commander and declare that we serve under his standard. They add similitudes in order to make the matter more clear. As the toga distinguished the Romans from the Greeks who bore the pallium, and as the different orders of Romans were distinguished from each other by their peculiar insignia, for example, senatorial from the equestrian by purple and crescent shoes, and the equestrian from the plebeian by a ring. So we wear our symbols to distinguish us from the profane. But it is sufficiently clear from what has been said above that the ancients, in giving the name of sacraments to signs, had not at all attended to the use of the term by Latin writers, but had, for the sake of convenience, given it this new signification as a means of simply expressing sacred signs. But were we to argue more subtly, we might say that they seem to have given the term this signification in a manner analogous to that in which they employ the term faith in the sense in which it is now used. For while faith is truth in performing promises, they have used it for the certainty or firm persuasion which is to be had of the truth. In this way, while a sacrament is the act of the soldier when he vows obedience to his commander, they made it the act by which the commander admits soldiers to the ranks. For in the sacraments the Lord promises that he will be our God, and we will be his people. But we omit such subtleties, since I think I have shown by arguments abundantly plain that all which ancient writers intended was to intimate that sacraments are the signs of sacred and spiritual things, the similitudes which are drawn from external objects, chapter 15, section 1, we indeed admit, but we approve not that that which is a secondary thing in the sacraments is by them made the first and indeed the only thing. The first thing is that they may contribute to our faith in God. The secondary, that they may attest our confession before men. These similitudes are applicable to the secondary reason. Let it therefore remain a fixed point that mysteries would be frigid as has been seen, were they not helps to our faith and adjuncts annexed to doctrine for the same end and purpose. End of section 26